All right. How many of you think your family's messed up? How many of you think people you know's family's messed up? Yeah. We all think our family's messed up, right? That's, it's one of the joys and one of the curses of being a part of the family, right? Is that we think it's messed up, right? And it is. There's dysfunction at every level. One of the things I love about scripture is that when you read the Bible and you actually read the story of God, it's messed up. I mean, it is, listen, if you're God trying to tell people about how amazing you are, you leave some of this stuff out, right? And as we go through Genesis, listen, it's messed up. And listen, I I love the church of Jesus, but I at times am critical of the way that we've communicated God's word. Listen, there is absolutely no reason, no reason why these things shouldn't be talked about in church. And they're awkward. Listen, you know, Joe knew this was going to be an awkward message. He flew all the way to London to get away from preaching to it, okay? So he said, Cord, you got this one, right? Somebody texted me last night after service and says, hey, does Joe always leave the country when he's got a sermon he doesn't want to preach, right? So I get to be the awkward. Listen, we, we have a clue what's happening in the world and the things that people are dealing with. There's no reason to come to church and pretend these things don't exist and then not talk about them. And here's the great thing. God's word... God's word talks about these things, right? They talk about this sort of messed up dynamic that we live in. And so we're going to get to walk through that today in Genesis 29 and and Genesis chapter 30. We're going to do that together. But let me ask you a question. So our country's been, you know, together 200 plus years, right? Throughout the history of our nation, one of the battles that has constantly taken place, still takes place, is this battle between labor and management. Right? Are you familiar with this idea of labor and management struggles? Right? It's the idea where we've gotten strikes from. Right? Management makes a decision to cut wages. Right? To trim the fat. And labor has a problem with it. They don't agree with it. And then labor strikes and boycotts. Right? And you're familiar with the battle. Right? It's this battle between these two ideologies. Right? That here's... Here's this group of people, the suits, right, that have this mindset. And then there's these people down here on the ground doing the real work, right? And the people up here just don't get it, right? They don't understand it because the people down here, they're the real heroes. They understand it. Listen, that dynamic is played out. You know, I just did a little research this week, but that dynamic has played out in our, played out in our country in horrific ways at times since its inception. The battle between... Management and labor. I say that because that same thing exists in our Bible, right? One of the great things about studying scriptures, you get to see the formation of this whole thing. And 10 years ago, Randy Frazee did a study called The Story. Some of you went through it. And his basic premise was this, that as you study scripture from Genesis to Revelation, you find out there are two stories that are playing out. There's an upper story, we'll call it management, right? And don't, listen, if you need to send an email being offended that I'm referring to God as management, send it to cardinal at tomoka.cc and Joe will respond, all right? It's just a reference. But in this analogy, there's this upper story, right? Management, God's story, and then there's this lower story, labor, our story. And that plays out on every page of scripture. And these chapters really reinforce that. Because if you go all the way back to Genesis 3, as we started, 
right? You remember the story, Satan, Satan wanted the corner office, right? He wanted God's space. And that was an upper level issue. That was a management issue. The unfortunate part was that the management issue spilled down into labor and Satan shows up in the garden and tempts Adam and Eve. And all of a sudden, management's problems have become labor's issues. And then the story begins. And God says, I'm going to deal with my problem. But I'm going to do it from the ground. I'm going to bring up somebody from the ground who's going to destroy you, Satan. And off we go with these two stories. Management and labor. One thing I love about walking through the narrative of Genesis, we see this all the time. And I think there's some lessons or some truths that we can take from this. Let me give you an example. Last week we did Genesis 28. Listen to Genesis 28, 20. This is, this is Jacob's perspective. You remember the story. Jacob sees the ladder, angels up and down, right? God speaks to him. All that's done. And here's Jacob's perspective. Jacob makes a vow. And here's what He says, everybody read those, that first word with me. That's two letters. If say it again, if here's Jacob's vow labor's perspective, if God will be with me and if God will watch over me on this journey that I'm taking, and if God will give me food to eat, and if God will give me clothes to wear so that I can return safely to my father's house, what's this word? Then he says, the Lord will be my God. You see the formula down here on the ground. Here's labor's formula. If management does this, then labor will do this. If God will give me this, then I will do this. Anybody relate to that formula with God? Just think about your prayer life. Think about the things that you've struggled with, with God, right? If God will do this, if God will give me this job, if God will sell this house, if God will take this sickness away, if God will do this, then I will do this. That's our perspective on the ground. But listen to God's perspective in Genesis twenty-eight thirteen. Here's management's perspective, God's perspective. On that ladder, right, that stairway to heaven, there above it stood the Lord. And here's what he said. I am. Not if... But I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, Jacob, and the God of Isaac. I will, not if you, but I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west, the east, the north, and the south. He says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I will be with you, not if, but I am with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. Different perspective, isn't it? Jacob's perspective, our perspective down here at times is this transactional mindset. God, you got to do this for me, and then I'll do this for you. God, you got to do this for me, and if you do, then I'll do this for you. Listen, that's the way of so many people's face. Those online, those in here, we have this transactional mindset, right? God, if you give this, then I'll get this. And we think the same thing. We think God operates the same way. Because we think, if God wants this, God, I'm going to give you this, then you need to give me that. We do the same thing over. I mean, think about the struggles that you've had with God. How many of them are an if-and-then mentality? But God only has one mentality. His mentality is this. There's no if-and-then. It's I am, and I will, and I will do this. In Genesis 29, we get to watch this walk out. And I just want to take two. 
I just want to take two truths out of this story for you. Now listen, you can read Genesis 29 and 30. I really hope you do. Um, I really hope you're reading the book of Genesis with us because the stories are amazing, right? Jacob, you know the story, right? Jacob and his mama tricked daddy into giving him the birthright or the, the blessing, right? Let's go in. Jacob's, J- Jacob is the typical mama's boy, right? She takes him. We deceive dad. Daddy prays for him, gives him the blessing. And before Jacob leaves home, he says to him, listen, you go back to your mom's village. You go back to your mom's family and you find yourself a wife. He does exactly what he's told. We find out he leaves home. He goes to uh, Rebecca's village. She's been away for almost 100 years. He goes back and he visits relatives. They're grateful to see him. He happens to be at a well. And he sees this beautiful woman named Rachel show up. He kisses her. And then he breaks down crying. Fellas, bad move. Freaks them out, okay? But that's how he starts it, right? He starts it and he runs into that. He finds out this girl is the daughter of a guy named Laban. Laban happens to be Rebecca's brother, Jacob's mama's brother. So he meets his uncle. Let's pick up the narrative in Genesis 29. Actually, let's talk about the first truth here. The first truth. Everybody read this with me online in here. Everybody read it. It's messy. It's messy in the weeds, right? It's messy in the weeds. Let's pick up the narrative here in Genesis 29. Laban, remember, this is Jacob's uncle. Rebecca's his sister. He's got two daughters. The name of the older is Leah. The name of the younger is Rachel. Leah had what? The Bible says she has weak eyes. But Rachel was lovely in form and in beauty. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'm going to work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And the Bible says that Jacob did so, right? So let's talk about it real quick. Laban has two kids, right? Two daughters. They're cousins to Jacob. One of them, the Bible describes with weak eyes. You can, you can look it up. There's a huge debate on what weak eyes mean. It's a Hebrew idiom. And basically what it seems to mean to me is that that Leah had delicate eyes. There was something about her eyes that were sort of different and made her stand out. But did you hear what Rachel had? The Bible said she didn't have pretty eyes. The Bible said she was lovely in what? Form and beautiful. She was the cover of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. Right? That was Rachel. Right? Leah, Leah had delicate eyes. Rachel had it all. And the Bible says, of course, Jacob loved Rachel. Surprise, surprise, right? Back in the day, if you wanted to marry a man's daughter, you had to give him what was called a dowry. You had to give him a gift that you suggested was equal to the value of this girl you wanted to marry. Jacob didn't have anything. He didn't come, right? He didn't come with a dowry, right? And so what's he offer? He says, I'm going to work for you for seven years. I'm going to give you seven years of free labor to, to earn your daughter Rachel's hand in marriage. Magnanimous beyond measure, right? So far beyond a normal dowry, it was hard to even comprehend. But that's how much Jacob wanted Rachel. So he did. He works for seven years. Seven years. He worked to get his wife. 
And the wedding day comes, and this was a, this was a week. Listen, the Jews celebrate a, a wedding the right way. They make it a week, a week party, right? But on night one of the party, the bridegroom, right? And the bride meet in the bridal suite, and they consummate their relationship. It's not 2023. There's not electricity, right? Your iPhone isn't glowing in the bedroom dark, right? There's nothing going on in there. And tradition was the bride came in with the bridal veil all the way until she got into the bed before she revealed her face. And lo and behold, Jacob's wedding night with his beautiful Rachel ends up being that he sleeps with Leah instead. And that's in the Bible. Because guess what happened? Daddy didn't want Rachel to get married first. Daddy wanted the older sister to get married first. She and her delicate eyes might not have had another chance. So he slips Laban, slips his daughter in to Jacob and tricks him into sleeping with the wrong woman. And then, of course, Jacob wakes up the next morning and he's mad and wants to know what happened. And daddy says, sorry, dude, we don't do it that way. Right? We don't do it that way. The older gets married first. Now he's got a wife that he doesn't want, but he still wants Rachel. And so here's what happens. He makes an agreement. I'll work another seven years for Rachel. This woman better have been beautiful in form, right? She better have been all this because he's going to give up 14 years of his life for her. The Bible says that's what Jacob did. The finished the week with Leah. Laban gave him the daughter, his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. So he's worth seven years and a week. He came with no wives. And after seven years and one week, he's got two wives. One he doesn't want and one he's in love with. You think it's messy in the weeds? Right? It's just going to get worse. Laban gave his servant girl, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as her maidservant. Jacob, Jacob laid with Rachel also. He loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked Laban another seven years. Right? This is all in scripture. Right? Check this out. So Leah isn't on the same level as Rachel. And Jacob loves Rachel more than Leah. The problem is he's married to both of them. Here's what happened. When the, when the Lord saw how messy it was in the weeds, what's he do? God gets involved. And sees that Leah's not loved. He chooses to open her womb. But keep the pretty girl's womb closed. You see we talk about God like he doesn't understand the mess you're in. Listen that story. Listen. You go to bed thinking you're going to sleep with your wife. You just worked for seven years for. And you wake up with another woman. Because your father-in-law tricked you. Is that messy? Yeah that's the kind of thing you watch nighttime TV for. Right? It's right here in scripture. And here's the thing. Your God and my God, who we love, who's amazing, who's holy, who's just, who we celebrate as being righteous without sin, without darkness. He sees that Leah's unloved and sees that Rachel's loved more. And what's he do? He gets involved. He decides to open the womb of Leah and he decides to close the womb of Rachel. You think your life is such a mess. God wouldn't have anything to do with it. Forget about it. God doesn't have a problem being involved in your mess. Messy people, God specializes in. And so if you're watching online or you're here and listen, we've got to get over this notion churches for pretty people. This church, every church has a savior who's here to rescue sick people, right? 
And I don't know if you've ever been to a doctor's office where sick people come, but it's a bad place to be. I remember when we did our medical clinic in Guatemala, we saw sick people. Nobody in that room for those eight hours was in a beauty contest. It is messy. It doesn't smell good. It doesn't feel good. Listen, that's what our God specializes in. Because it's messy in the weeds. So now we've got a pregnant, we've got a woman who isn't loved with an open womb. We've got a woman who's beautiful and unloved and a closed womb. And that's all God's doing. And so then it says, Leah, Leah's next verse, Leah gives, becomes pregnant. Because even though Jacob didn't love her, he still slept with her. Good man, Jacob, right? Leah becomes pregnant, gives birth to a baby. And listen to, listen to her play out her life with just naming her children. She names the guy Reuben. For she says this. It's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely now my husband will what? Love me. So Reuben's name is basically Leah's expression of her pain. Right? Next verse. She conceives again. Because apparently Jacob doesn't have a problem sleeping with a woman he doesn't love. Right? She's pregnant. Again, gives birth to another son. Here's what she says the second time. Because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. All of these phrases and all these Hebrew names have the same root word, right? So she's living out her pain and her desperation on the naming of her children. Third time, she conceives and she gives birth to a son. She says, now, at last, my husband will become attached to me. She's given up hope of love. She's not even asking to be loved now. She's just asking for him to attach himself to her. I don't care if you love me, just pick me. And all this is playing out because you know what? It's messy in the weeds. Amen, church? It's messy. People do crazy things in their desperation. She lives out her desperation in the naming of her children. Because it's so stinking messy. She, listen, she participated. It wasn't like daddy made her do it without her, without her knowledge. She knew what was happening. She went into that tent hoping she could convince Jacob to love her and not Rachel. And it didn't pan out that way. Now she's got three kids that are labeled with names of her desperation. I want to be loved. I want to be loved. Now I just want to be picked. I just want something. Give me a crumb because guess what? The messiness of the weeds, you find desperate people all the time. They're everywhere. So she gives birth to a, to a fourth son, right? She gives birth to a son. And this time, number four, because sometimes it takes a while for people who are in a mess in the weeds to get it. The fourth time, she says this. This last line, everybody read this with me. This time I will. Took her a minute. Listen, we gotta get, we gotta get over being impatient with people that are in desperate need in the weeds. It sometimes takes a minute for them to find God in the process. Amen? There's no reason to be impatient. Now check this out. All that goes on, and we've got Rachel watching. So Leah's now had four kids. Now go to Genesis 30. And verse 1, and here's what happens. Rachel, the pretty girl with the barren womb, because God closed it for her, sees that this, she wasn't having any kids. <clears throat> and she becomes, she's now jealous of her sister, right? She says to Jacob, in the, in the Hebrew, this is emphatic. This isn't a whisper. This isn't crying. This is her screaming. Give me kids or I'm going to die. She's angry. She's mad. Listen to what happens. <clears throat> so what does she do? Because 
Not only are desperate people in the weeds, people who are full of pain, pain and anger are in the weeds. And Rachel's one of them. And here's what she says in her anger and her pain. <clears throat> she, Jacob says, am I in the place of God who's kept you from having children? Because good men, good men don't take the blame. <clears throat> Look at what she does in her pain. And think about you and your pain. Look what she does. She says to Jacob, here's Bilhah, my maidservant. Sleep with her so that I can bear a child through her, right? And I can build a family. So in her pain, in her pain and her anger of not having kids, what she do? She completely takes advantage of another human. She doesn't check with Bilhah. Bilhah's not a human to her. Bilhah doesn't have feelings, emotions, dreams, and wants, and aspirations. She simply grabs her. As if she has no name and no value and says to her husband, sleep with her, get her pregnant so I can have a baby, I can build a family. Because in the weeds that are messy, people aren't just desperate, they're in pain. And you know what people in pain do? They do one of two things. That fight or flight thing kicks in. And people in pain who have the flight mechanism, they go into numbing. They numb it with alcohol. They numb it with drugs. They numb... They numb it with eating. Whenever life gets too hard, whenever my situation gets too painful, what do I do? I retreat. I retreat into my alcohol. I retreat to the bar. I retreat to my drugs, my prescription medication. I retreat through the refrigerator or I retreat to a bag of cookies or I retreat to someplace because people with flight run away from their pain to deal with it. Rachel was a fighter. So what she do? She grabs something she can control because she can't control her barren womb. That's in God's hands. But I can control Bilhah. I don't care about her. She's got no feelings. She means nothing to me. And you watch. People who are in pain, who are built to fight, they love to control other people for their own benefit and they don't care who they hurt. Because, man, it's messy in the weeds. Amen? And so Rachel... Those are servant into Jacob's bed. He came with zero wives and zero children. Now he's got three women he's sleeping with and four kids. It's messy, right? And then the Bible says, <clears throat> she gave him the servant. Bilal came his wife. That's three. Jacob sleeps with her. Surprise, surprise. She gets pregnant and bears a son. Right? Look at Rachel says. This crazy, stupid plan of hers that she does in pain. Who does she give credit to for it? She says what? God has what? Was it his plan? No. Do you know how many stupid plans God gets credit for? Because people who are desperate and in pain do dumb things. But God's vindicated me. He's listened to my plea. He's given me a sign. And then it goes on to say this. She named him Dan. Again, the Hebrew name and the, 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 the phrase has the same root. Check this out. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again. Because, you know, Jacob, being a good husband, sleeps with his wives. So he sleeps with her again, right? She gets pregnant again, bears a second son. Look at this. She says, I've had a great struggle with my sister. And I have one. People are messed up in the weeds, aren't they? I mean, this is a messed up story. Jacob loves Rachel. Mary works for seven years. It's a great love story. Father-in-law tricks Jacob. He sleeps with the older sister. Now he's got two wives. One he likes and one he doesn't. Right? He agrees to sleep. He agrees to go for another seven years. Meanwhile, he gets the wife who isn't loved pregnant four times. The wife that's loves angry. She gives her servant. She gets pregnant twice. Now Jacob's got three wives and six kids. 
Right? It's crazy. And then now look what happens. What happens is, and the story continues, right? The story continues and now Leah sees what's happening, right? In verse 9 of chapter 30, Leah sees that she's no longer having kids. So what she do? She takes her maidservant, Zilpah, and gives her to Jacob as a... Now he's got four. He's got four wives, right? Leah's servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. So Jacob's a good husband. He slept with wife four, Right? So he's got four wives. Now he's got seven children. And look what Leah says. Leah says, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Again, fortune. Good fortune and Gad, same word. Leah served Zilpah, bore Jacob his second son. Because listen, if you got four wives, you might sleep with four women. So he sleeps with her again, has another kid. Right? Leah says, how happy I am. The women are now going to call me happy. So she names him Asher. So now... He left, shows up, zero wives, zero children. Now he has four wives and he has eight children, right? And you think you're messed up? And let's be clear, this is in the Bible. And now he's in the Bible, we read that God got involved in it because he's the one that got the woman's womb open to have the first baby and closed the other one. Because it's messy in the weeds. And then it gets even dumber. If you go on and you read the rest of chapter 30, you find out that what happened was Leah's boy Reuben goes out into the harvest. Right? There were two primary harvest times in Israel. He goes out at one of these harvest times and he finds what the Bible calls a mandrake. You don't know what a mandrake is. A mandrake was something that they believed in that culture that helped with infertility. Because mama had quit having kids after four. The servants have had two apiece. But Leah wants another baby because she's still desperate. So she takes the mandrakes because she's going to use them to try to help her infertility. Rachel, who's had zero babies, sees it and says, Leah, can you give me the mandrakes? And Leah says, why would I give you the mandrakes? You've already stole my husband. And then Jacob and then Rachel says, well, I'll make a deal with you, sis. You give me the mandrakes to try to help me get pregnant and I'll let Jacob sleep with you tonight. So the two sisters... Sell Jacob's bed right over mandrakes. So when Jacob comes home from the field, Leah meets him and says, Hey, honey, I want you in a poker game. You're sleeping with me tonight. That's in the Bible. So listen, if you're come to church or you're watching the line, and you're offended because you think, Oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. This is in the Bible. And here's the reason it's in the Bible. Because you and I need to remind ourselves that it's messy in the weeds. And God doesn't run away from the mess. If we want to win the world, then the world is going to be what? Messy. And guess what? People in the mess are desperate. They're lonely. They're in pain. They want to be loved. They want to be affirmed. They want to be chosen. They want to be picked. And they do stupid things and give God credit for it. Because it is messy out there. Listen, if you think a church is a place to run from that stuff, we are of no value to a world that's dying. We have, listen, we cannot be those people. Jesus did not run from the woman at the well. He did not run from the woman caught in adultery. He did not run from the leper. He did not run from the tax collector. He didn't even run from the Roman soldier. Because the gospel never runs from the mess. It runs toward the mess. That's what we do. Because 
It's a messy world out there. And the mess is desperate. It's full of pain. And so Jacob sleeps with Leah. And she gets two more kids. And she gives God credit for having two more kids because her generosity to give Leah or Rachel the mandate. So now Jacob has four wives and ten kids. And then the Bible says God remembered Rachel as if he had forgot he had closed her womb. And then he opens her womb and she has one little boy. And his name is Joseph. And boy, does he play a huge part in the history of Israel. And by the time we're done with that story, Jacob, who had zero wives and zero children, has four wives and 12 children. It's insane. Because it's messy in the weeds. Amen, church? I do want to say this about jealousy, real quick. And bitterness. Before we close it out here. Let me read a couple scriptures to you. Jealousy arouses a husband's fury. He will show no mercy when he takes revenge. Next verse. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy or jealousy rots the bones. Another one. Anger is cruel and fury is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? And then in James, James says this. Listen. Listen, life is messy in the weeds and it is it is a possible possibility that some of you in here, some of you online are at this stage of life. That you've gone through the desperation, you've gone through the pain and the anger, and now you're just bitter. And now you're just bitter. Or you're, you're, you're overwrought with jealousy or envy of somebody's other situation. I want to remind you. Here's what scripture says. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast about it and don't lie about it. He says that kind of wisdom does not come from God. Does it come from heaven? That kind of wisdom. What wisdom? Bitterness and selfish ambition. He says that kind of wisdom is earthly. It's unspiritual. And it is of the, it's demonic. And he says this, for where you have envy, jealousy, and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. You see, some of the reasons why your relationships don't work, the reason why some of your marriages aren't working, is because your relationships are characterized by bitterness and envy, jealousy, and selfish ambition. Because do you know who shows up at the party when you bring those into your relationship? The Bible says disorder and every evil practice. You want your relationships to work? You got to get rid of the bitterness. You got to get rid of the envy. You got to get rid of the jealousy. If you want your relationship to be chaotic and to be full of every evil practice possible, stay bitter. Stay jealous. Stay selfish in your ambition. But if you want it to change, get rid of that. Because that is not of the Holy Spirit. That is of the demonic spirit. Listen, we can all agree online in here. It is messy in the weeds. Amen, church? Is God afraid of the mess? Should God's people be afraid of the mess? Never. Never. We should be. Listen, that's the hope of the gospel. Amen? Now, that's labor's story. It is messy down here at the lower level. Right? It's crazy. But I want to tell you about the upper level, upper level story. Right? Here's the, here's the last truth. The view at 30,000 feet is different. Anybody ever flown in an airplane and seen the world from 30,000 feet? It's different, right? I don't journal. I've never journaled, right? Except one time. First time I went to Guatemala. It was first time, first year here. Scared to death. Out of the country for the first time. I go. 
And I remember flying in over Guatemala. And I don't know if I've ever seen anything before then or since then that was as beautiful as flying in Guatemala from 30,000 feet. It was spectacular. Off in the distance, you could see the volcanoes. One of them was smoking. The beauty of the landscape of the rolling meadows and hills. It was spectacular. And then we landed in Guatemala. And you're struck with the smell of the city dump. And you're struck with the smell of evil and poverty. You're struck on the ground. It is a completely different view. Down in the, down in the ground, it's messy. Your life, your neighbor's life, your kid's lives. Listen, it's messy. It's messy. But up top, at management's view, it's different. Let me remind you of this, right? Genesis 28, this was what God said to Jacob before he ever started this mess. When God speaks to Jacob, he's got zero wives and zero children. And he says this, I'm the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants. Listen to what God promises him when he has zero wives and zero kids. I'm going to give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. He says, your descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth. And they're going to spread out to the west and the east, the north and the south. Now, everybody online, everybody in here. This was God to Jacob with zero wives and zero children. Everybody read this last line with me. All people, stop. All peoples include who? Us. Everybody say me. So this promise Jacob is getting from God includes you and me. He says all peoples. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your. If God tells me, dude, I need you to make a family so I can bless the entire world. I'm going to do my best to give God the best family I can get. Yes. Jacob gets it with four wives. Here's his best foot forward. I'm going to give you God. I'm going to give you a family you can bless the world with. I'm going to. Be married to a woman I don't love because I got tricked. I'm going to be married to a woman I do love. Oh, by the way, you're going to close her womb and open up the other girl's womb. I'm going to get her pregnant four times. My pretty wife's going to be mad. She's going to give me her servant. I'm going to get her pregnant twice. And then the woman that I don't love who's got four kids is going to get mad. And she's going to give me her servant. I'm going to get her pregnant twice. And then we're going to barter over our husband because of mandrakes. And I'm going to sleep with my... I'm going to sleep with my wife I don't love again. She's going to give me two more kids. Oh, and eventually I'll get the pretty one pregnant. And God says, listen, God says, I'm going to bless the entire world through you and your family. Now, I don't know if I, I don't know about you, but if I'm God, I'm picking a better family. I might think to myself, you know what? I made that promise to Jacob. I had lots of hopes in the kid. He had no wives. He had no children. I thought he was going to do a pretty good job of picking. And this is what I got. I'm going to change my mind. Would you have faulted God for changing his mind? This is a messed up family. Listen, can you imagine entering into this family? Hey, meet my family. Meet my mom and my mom and my mom and my mom, right? <laughs> it's messed up. And it's, look, 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 listen, just so, just, just so everybody's on the same page, it's in the Bible. And you're sitting here today. You're sitting here today. You're watching online today. Because God blessed the entire world through this jacked up family. Because you're going to find out in scripture that Jesus comes through this family. Jesus, if you're bringing in a, if you're bringing in your kid to save the world, wouldn't you pick a better family to come through? But he picks this one. And this is what happens. And here's why. Here's what I want you to know. God's promises are never broken. 
Read that with me. God's promises are never broken. You see, we think that management thinks like we do. If management will do this, then I'm going to do this. God, if you'll do this for me, then I'm going to do this for me. God didn't work that way. God didn't need you to do anything for him to keep his word because God never breaks his promises. Bible says he can't lie. He can't, he can't make a lie. He can't make a word and then change his mind. Psalm 89, 34 says this. Psalm 89, 34 says, I'll, I'll not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Jacob, I said, I'm going to bless the entire world to you. I'm not going to change my mind. Numbers 23, Moses writes these words. God's not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? No. You need to know that at 30,000 feet, no matter how messy it is on the ground, God never breaks his promise. Somebody say amen. You know what that means? That means you might be sitting here today or you watching online today and you think, man, I've really messed up. Here's what the promise is in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. The Bible says if you'll confess your sin, God is faithful and just. He'll forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Somebody say amen. You see, some of you online, some of you in here have been carrying around some stupid decision you've made, some sin you've made, and you think it's unforgivable. No, it's not, because at 30,000 feet, management never breaks its promise. And the promise is if you'll simply confess it, God will forgive it, and he'll cleanse you of it. Somebody say amen. And listen, many of you are weary and tired, right? Here's the promise in Matthew eleven twenty eight. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? I'm going to give you rest, right? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Listen, God makes promises and he keeps promises. If you're burdened, if you're wore out, don't run from God. The Bible says run to him and he will give you rest. Some of you are in bondage. You're in bondage to a past. You're in bondage to some made-up story. You're in bondage to something in your life. You're in, you're, you're in bondage to what you went through in your childhood home. You're in bondage to a marriage that fell apart and you were betrayed. But you're in bondage. John eight thirty six makes this promise. The Bible says, so if the Son, Jesus, sets you free, you are free what? Indeed. Listen, we've got to start understanding that those of us who know Jesus are free in Jesus. Somebody say amen. That means you're free from your past. You're free from your present. You're free from your sin. I don't care what people say to you. If you know Jesus, you're free. Amen? You've been set free, right? Romans 8 chapter 1 says this. There is therefore now no what? Condemnation. That's krenos in the Greek. It means judgment. Listen, once you know Jesus, you're no longer in fear of being judged by God. The Bible says your name's been written in the Lamb's book of life. You've been set free. For so many of you, for so many of us, the struggle of Christianity isn't do I want to believe Jesus? Isn't do I want to trust in God? It's I can't get out of my own way. I still make the same stupid mistakes. And there's no way that God sees me or feels about me the same way. God doesn't break his promises. If you know Jesus, you're free. So get over it. Let it go and move on. Because you have been set free in Jesus. Somebody say amen. God doesn't break promises. If you're struggling with what to read in scripture, go buy your book called The Promises of God and read them. And build your entire faith on God's word. Can God do anything he wants? Yes. But I'll tell you what God does most is he speaks his word and then he keeps his word and you can bank on that word. That's what you build your life on. That's what you build your faith on. Is you find what God promises and you find that God never breaks those promises.
He keeps them. He trusts them. Because it's messy out here in the weeds. Amen? Don't you need a God that will keep his word when you're messed up in the weeds? This man had no wives, no children. Ended up with four wives, 12 children. And God went, I'm going to use that family to bless those folks in Ormond in 2023. And aren't you glad he did? Because Jesus was only coming through that family. And so what do you do at the end? You know, Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 sort of wraps it up. And says this to all of us. Those of us that are messy in the weeds. With a God at 30,000 feet. That never breaks a promise. He says trust in the Lord. With all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways. All your life. Acknowledge him. And he'll make your path straight. Down here in labor level. It can get confusing and hard. Up there, 30,000 foot view in the corner office, it's not confusing to God. Because he's made a promise to you. He's never, ever, ever going to struggle to keep that promise. And so today, if you don't know that God, if you don't have that relationship, listen, we're not leaving here without offering it to you. So if you're online, hit that button. I have decided. It'll take you to a form which will allow you to communicate and pastor john and his team will be in touch if you're here we're going to close the service i'm going to pray up at the front of the stage we'll be a part of our decision team and prayer team up here to assist anybody that wants to come so i'm just going to ask you to stand we're going to pray together if you need to make a decision today about jesus why don't you do it father thank you so much thank you for not ignoring our mess for not giving up giving up on us i'm grateful that the story of jacob and Rachel, and Leah, and Bilhah, and Zilpah is in the scripture. I'm grateful to know that, God, you're not afraid of our mess. And I'm grateful to know that in spite of it, you never, ever break your promise. Encourage us with that today. Change us with that today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church.